Jesus, you are so good. Uh, Our hearts can't even comprehend, our minds can't even wrap around how good you are, especially how good you are to your people, uh, to those who believe in you. Lord, as I speak today, let it not just be my words, Spirit of God, would you speak into our hearts the goodness of Jesus, of the wonder of our God, and would you grow us as a people who honour your name in all that we do, in the joy of our God, our creator God. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, hello again. Uh, I'm still John, uh, as I was 15 minutes ago, so isn't that a wonder? Um, I thought it might be a good idea to just chuck in, before I start the sermon part of this today, a little bit of an intro, because different people here have received different levels of our story and and where Crystal and I and the kids have been at and how we ended up here. I alluded to it before. And I'm going to do the short version. We're going to do dinner together afterwards. We're going to go down the deli or the the kiosk and they're going to be utterly overwhelmed and devastated by numbers as we have been today. And, uh, but uh, I just wanted to give you the the quick, in a nutshell version of this. Uh, Crystal and I moved here uh, for one primary purpose and that was to plant this church. Um, There were other things uh, that made it attractive to move to York Peninsula. For instance, my parents are in this room right now and custom babysitting services don't happen every day. So that's wonderful. Uh, I've probably just offended Rick and Rach by saying that anyway. Um, Yes, we take advantage of you and we love you at the same time. Uh, (laughs) um, But we moved here in response to what we believe to be God's call on us. And I don't say that as a, as a thing that has happened in a vacuum or just recently. Um, we didn't just get to December last year when we moved or to October last year and just go, you know what we're going to do? We should move to South Australia and, and move to the country and plant a church. Actually, we, we sort of did that at that point, but for years, and, and I use that literally, years um, before that, we've been intentionally moving towards country ministry. Uh, I've, I've been working, uh, I worked for a while in a, in a pretty large city church over in Brisbane, um, but that was always toward the idea that after having trained for a while as an associate pastor, I would go and be a pastor in a country church. Uh, our heart is for this, and we believe that God's given us that heart, even though Mark can only see half of me right now, sorry Mark. Um, almost, almost since I knew, in fact, I, I think since I knew that I was called to pastor the church, I knew that I was called, I had a strong sense that I was called to pastor the church rurally, not necessarily here, but in the country. Um, and I just I just wanted to pop that in there. You can get the long version from us as we eat fish and chips that the deli uh, begrudgingly give to us because they, they flogged off their feet. But um, uh, I also wanted to say uh, just a quick snapshot of where we're going to be going in the teaching of this church in, in the coming weeks and months. Um, so uh, in the first few weeks, we're going to lay down what are the, the basics of what it is to be the church, uh, what it is to be the people of God gathered. Uh, and we're going to do that under, under four broad titles, gospel, community, discipleship, and mission. Uh, and, and you'll notice, though, that we're not um, gospel, community, discipleship, and mission church. That's not our name. Uh, and that's because the gospel is what lies at the very core of the church. Community, discipleship, and mission, they, they flow out of the gospel. 
uh, and everything else that the church is flows out of the good news of the gospel. So, and then after this four-part series, we're actually going to be moving into the book of First Peter. Uh, it's one of the New Testament letters. If you get a chance before then, and if you're planning to stick around with this, I encourage you to get into it, get reading it. It's a five-chapter letter. It's like three pages of your Bible. It'll take you 20 minutes. You can read it five days of the week if you wanted to. Um, or you could read it once a week. Uh, and so that book is just this gospel-rich exposition from the Apostle Peter of how to live with the hope of the gospel in a world that isn't home. And I just wanted to, to put this at the front and centre because we're starting with, a, with what is a topical series. But, but going through books of the Bible, uh, passage by pa- passage, book by book, that's going to be the bread and butter of what we're going to do preaching-wise as a church. Uh, and, and how we're going to dig into God's Word together, primarily. Uh, we will do topical sermons, as, as demonstrated right now, but, but they're not going to be the norm. Uh, and the reason uh, for that, you know, take it or leave it, that's, that's basically where we're going. The, the reasoning is that primarily we don't want to get to a, a Sunday or when we get to having home groups to a home group night where we look at what's being preached on that week. If we do that, we haven't decided that Shouldn't have said it. But uh, we don't want to get to that and, we, and, and, and hear primarily what a preacher wants to say to us. Um, that's not the bread and butter of what it is to gather as the people of God and hear from his word because it's hearing from his word. We want to hear what God wants to say to us in his good word. Um, now, having said that, let's, let's move in today. Uh, and I'm not going to be up here super long today. Uh, some weeks, depending on, on where you being or what's been going on in your life, you may think it's long, I don't know. But uh, uh, some weeks we're going to preach for longer, uh, but when Matt and I were talking about how we were going to start this, um, when we were praying through it and considering that, we decided there was no better way than to simply just start with the truth of the gospel. Uh, Because really that's what we want to be about as a church. I've said it about four times already, uh, so I hope that's just thoroughly sunk in by now. We want to be a community whose lives are formed by the gospel, who, who make disciples with the gospel, and who take the gospel on mission to the world around us. Uh, and so we want to be about the truth of Jesus. And if that's what you want to be about, let me put it out there as an encouragement. Consider a partnering with us. Consider becoming a part of this church. Uh, I know that not everyone here is necessarily going to be here next week, but I'm putting it out there as a, as a thing to think about for you. So we're, we're going to seat ourselves down today, I'm going to move this table a little bit closer so I can, in uh, the book of First Corinthians that Crystal read out a part of for us before. And if you have a Bible, uh, rip it open. If you have a phone, you have a Bible. Uh, um, but First Corinthians is this letter that's just framed with and saturated with the truth and power and grace of the gospel. So if you have a have a Bible, yeah, whip it open. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to go from the first verse. And I'll give you exactly 10 seconds to follow. <laughs> oh, we can work on that. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm used to it. It's more of a phone issue. Right? Um, actually, I've got it written in my, passage, in, my, in my message as well, so you can just have that. That's all right. No, okay. I've got to do this. Do you want to buy it? Does anyone not want to buy it? Because I do have a reading. One Corinthians? Yeah, well, First Corinthians chap, chap, uh, chapter 15. 15. Is that NIV, John? Uh, I'm in the ESV, but uh, if you've got an NIV, you should be able to follow roughly along. Um, but if you've got a digital Bible, yeah, you can, you can pick and choose. Right? 
You can use the message if you want. Uh, <laughs> don't be controversial. Don't. John, could you mind standing in the corner of the room? The reason I'm standing here is so that these guys can... Um, so if I stand here, there are four people in the kitchen who can't see me at all. Uh, so what if, I, what if I move Matt's guitar? If you put Matt over here and you stand where Matt is. Great time for you. It's the light behind you that makes it. Ah, right. That's actually not the light. That's the Shekinah glory. No, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's read this. Um, is that better? Is that any better? No. It's the light. You're saying a silhouette and you can't lip read. Ah. Ah. These are going to be wonderful lessons for next week. We can all turn around. That would be intensely complex. The towel, but like it's the window here that's the issue, isn't it? Oh, because then I could stand in the middle, couldn't I? All right, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, Dad, you know where the linen cupboard is. Could you get two towels, please? This is the most normal service I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hang the towels over. Uh, you've got clips on either side that you can hang it In the meanwhile, I'll... Um, does anyone know any jokes? <laughs> I was... I was a part of a... Um, part of a church over in Brisbane, I said. Um, and it was about... 500 people at this church, but we were in the evening service and there was about 150 people in that. And uh, one of the other pastors who'd recently started on was doing communion. It was his first time he'd done it there. And he uh, got to midway through and realised he just hadn't prepared properly and, and kind of lost his place. And so he just, like in front of this fairly large, fairly formal church, started dancing a jig to deal with the tension. It was the most happy moment I had. Um, was it you? No, his name was Rob. It's a good guy. Okay, so let's look at Does that. I'm going I'm to move up to Malcolm so these guys can see it. Hey, Malcolm. So when I get serious and like Jonathan Edwards in, I'm going to go like this. You have to pay good money for those seats. Where on earth were we? We haven't read this yet. Doing the Bible reading. Great. Let's read the Bible. Now, I would remind you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas, then to the twelve. We're going to stop there for today. He goes on though, and he, he provides a really long list. If you get a chance, just have a read of it on your own, not right now. Um, and, and it's just a list of witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Um, like like he, he mentions some of them as groups, and there's hundreds of people by the end of like verse 11. Uh, and although we won't dwell on that fact today, I, I wanted to chuck this in there. It's worth saying, those literally hundreds of people he mentions, most of them were still alive by the time that, that this was written. Um, like, this is, this is years after Jesus died, but not many years. And so, 
it's, it's just a wonderful fact to dwell on, just briefly, that any of these Christians in Corinth, when they got this letter, they could have gone to Bill, who, who was a, one of the 500, he was a witness of the resurrected Jesus, and gone, Bill, was Jesus really risen? You know, prove it. And like Bill would have been like, oh yeah, I, stuck my, I, I put my finger in his, in his hand, he was, he was risen, he was, he was walking, he ate a fish. Um, and, and, and like, when you think about it, this is a wonderful fact that, that God's church didn't die because people went and asked and people were like, nah, he wasn't really risen. There's no way you can convince that many people to cohesively lie together. This is not a thing. Uh, and yet the church flourished because it was true. I just wanted to chuck that in there, really. But that's, like I said, that's not where we're focusing today. And, and so here it is, in this passage, in probably the simplest statement we have in the Bible, the good news of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. And Christ rose. And we ask the question, why is that good news? Now, for many of you, uh, that might be an obvious question. Um, but really, like, and honestly, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, we never ever want to be a church that assumes that everyone in the room has understood or believed the gospel. There's, there's, there's loads of churches that do do that. Um, and they, they're okay churches. They believe in Jesus. And that's, I don't want to put this as a critique in any church. Um, but, but I never want us to assume the gospel. Uh, this, is, this is the front and the centre and the forever of who we are as the people of God. Uh, it's, it's good news that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, primarily for those few words that we see there, for our sins. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You see, the Bible presents us with incredible good news, but to understand the blazing goodness of the good news, you have to see something of the terrible darkness of the bad news. Uh, we're like a person in an aeroplane. I, I, uh, I went to the Gold Coast last week, uh, and, and Matt and I flew across there for a conference. And uh, if, if someone had come to me on the plane saying, we're on Tiger, by the way, this, that's, that's relevant to this story. If, if someone had come to me, like if Matt had run up to me and been like, hey, John, I got your parachute, I would have been like, no, Matt, I don't want your parachute. Keep your parachute. There's no, not, like, I wouldn't be able to breathe in this seat space with a parachute on. Why would I? What are you talking about? But, but imagine how different it would have been uh, how my reaction would have gone if, if he'd run up to me and said, John, the plane's going down. We need to jump out of the hatch. Here's a parachute. <laughs> like, like, picture it, literally. Like, uh, if you know me, I probably would have been something along the lines of, give me, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> you know? Um, sorry, that's a little bit hyperactive. Uh, you see, the offer of a parachute is meaningless. <laughs> Unless you need a parachute. Good news loses its meaning if it's not understood on the backdrop of the bad news that was. And so the Bible teaches us about a thing called sin. I'm sure you've all heard it. I'm sure you've all heard it taught on. Sin is, in its most basic form, rebellion against God, the creator of all things. God, the ruler of all things. It's what happens when people who are created to bring glory to God and, and to follow him and to gain complete joy from doing that, from living that way. Instead, choose to follow and to long after the unfulfilling things that God has created. And they're unfulfilling because they were made to put us in one. We first find sin in the Bible in, in Genesis chapter 3. It gets 
in nice and early, uh, when Adam and Eve have been given a good place to live under God in the garden. And they've been uh, abundantly provided for there. And we get this beautiful picture of this garden, and they have been given good words to follow, and they have joy together there, and their relationships are unhindered and unbroken, and their relationship with God is perfect and unbroken, but then in comes Satan as a snake. And he causes them to doubt God's goodness and the truth of his word to them, and they choose to not to follow God, not to desire him above all, but instead to eat the fruit that he had told them not to eat. There's loads of fruit they could eat, it's worth saying. But, and, and, and so what they did there was they elevated the created thing above the creator. They, they said, no, God, I, I won't desire you more than I desire this fruit. And I won't serve you more than I serve this snake. Both were created things of God. And, we first, uh, and the Bible says that every person since then has been born into sin. Every person has been, by nature, a sinner, and every person has fully chosen sin. And since that day, every person has lived under the curse that resulted from our sin. We, we are broken. This whole world is broken with us. We fight pain, sorrow, and sadness fill the world. Our relationships with each other are broken. Ultimately, our relationship with God is broken. And finally, we die and will one day receive uh, the consequences that, that our sin deserves, eternal punishment, the Bible has the word for it, hell. And so we're told in the letter to the, the Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, sin sins pay out, if you will. Uh, what it brings to us is death. Not one person in all of human history has lived in a good way of following God all of the days of their lives. In fact, I would almost go so far as to say, for one day in their lives. Yeah, you, me, Matt, your great-aunt Doris, the Queen of England, Mother Teresa, every man, woman and child, every human ever to walk on the earth has lived in rebellion against God. And amidst the darkness of that terrible backdrop, the bad news, we can see the good news for exactly what it is. A parachute and a fallen because what I just said is actually only 99.9999999999% accurate. All of sin except one. Paul writes, Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. Now, Christ is not the second name of Jesus. You probably know Christ is one of the great titles we get for Jesus in the Bible. It's a direct equivalent to the word Messiah. And it refers to the promised saviour that God was going to send into the world. In the thick darkness of our sin, we were unable to deal with it, unable to save ourselves, but God in perfect love chose to save us. He himself came down. God the Son lived a perfect life like we couldn't, and he died for our sins. Don't miss the words in this chapter. I, I know you've probably heard this before, but, but doesn't it still bring joy to your heart? He died for our sins, personally, each one of us who believe in him. And what does that mean? Well, 1 John 4.10 gives us a pretty good idea. John writes that in this 
is love. Not that we have loved God. And, and we could pause there and just add from the rest of what we see in the Bible, we didn't love God. We hated God. In fact, those who you would expect most to be followers of God were those who yelled for the blood of Christ. But in this is love, not that we have first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's admittedly a big word. But what it means is that when Jesus chose to die on the cross, God the Father poured out all of the punishment, all of the anger that his people deserved to directly onto Jesus. And he's taken it in full. That's love beyond imagining. Doesn't that, doesn't, doesn't that blow away our categories of what love looks like? It's like, uh, do you know the old Christian hymn that goes, uh, here is love vast as the ocean? We, we're going to go and eat down there later on. Have a look at how vast it is. <laughs> this is the love of God. It's beyond comprehending. It's actually vaster than the ocean. Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ was buried. And basically meaning, yes, he really was dead. His body lay still, lifeless, in a tomb. We can, we can skip over that pretty easily, but, but think about it. The, the body of God himself, the, the Son of God, lying dead on a slab. Like that, that's beyond fathom. But then wonder of wonders what he says next is just breathtaking. He was raised on the third day. We get, we get used to this reality as Christians. It's a, it's a painful thing that, that things that should always continually blow us out of the water, instead we get used to hearing them and we go, well, I've heard that before, I need something else. But, but it's such an earth-shattering thing, isn't it? Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Now, up to there, that's standard human experience, right? Um, well, you don't really experience being buried, but we'll leave that by the side. Um, you know, we die. Uh, I've been working in a hospital for the last... Two months, and, and I've done loads of work as a nurse. And people die. We all know that. And we all know that that's not good. We die and we're buried. But Jesus was died, and Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again, never to die again. Something new happened. Some, uh, better still, something restored happened. <coughs> something perfect and unfading happened in the midst of a broken and fading world. Three days after he died, just picture it, Jesus just up and walked off, you know? Like he was getting up to, 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 to leave the house in the morning. And we understand from this that anyone who believes in him will share in his resurrection anyone who believes in Jesus because he has defeated your sin and because he has risen to die no more, the curse of sin is being undone in you. What happened in the garden there when, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God and he said you will surely die is being undone for those who believe. We all know the terror of death. We all know that death isn't good. It isn't right and that we can't do anything about it. But God did something about it. 
your relationship with God, if you believe in Jesus, is restored. Your, your human relationships are being restored and will one day be perfectly restored. You will one day live forever in perfect joy with your Creator. That's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried. And Jesus rose again. Before I finish today, I want to just be really clear. The truth of the gospel is utterly all-encompassing. It relates to all of the Christian life and to all of history and on into eternity. The truth of Jesus' death and resurrection should never, ever uh, cease to be the focus of God's people. Matt said, um, John's going to get up and, and preach the gospel today. Guess what? Every week. Uh, not like this, necessarily. We're going to walk through the Bible. We're going to see but but. But as you walk through the Bible, you see that every part of the Bible is bringing the gospel into our lives. Gospel is all-encompassing. And, and I wanted to, to do that, direct us towards something right in the start of this passage here. Before Paul starts describing what the gospel is, he first says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, like I said, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. And the, the Greek language there is really specific. It's, it's an ongoing act he's talking about. Notice that. This good news he's describing is what we are currently standing in as Christians, if you're a Christian, and what we're currently being saved by. You see, people have often made a critical mistake uh, in following Jesus. And when I say people, I mean us. Right? Don't, don't think of anyone outside of here right now, although many people. Because I think we've all fallen into this at times. We think or we act like the gospel is just the good news by which I have been saved. Past tense. We approach our faith with that with a, maybe what you could call a clean slate mentality. I believed the gospel. And so Jesus has washed away my sin. The gospel's had its effect and it's done with me. But that's not what the Bible says. Certainly when you believe the truth of the gospel, when you believe in Jesus, in his saving work on the cross, your sins, past, present and future sins, are dealt with. They're washed away. The Bible calls that being justified. And that is uh, once and for all, permanent. But it's also the truth by which we are being saved. Not not meaning that Christians are somehow able to be unsaved or de-justified, meaning to be re-justified. Uh, but that's a one-off. But just as we have been saved from the punishment of sin when we were justified, now we are being transformed out of the power of sin by that same gospel. We still have sin in our lives, I'm not sure if you've noticed. Good, I'm glad that someone uh, the truth of the gospel, the, the truth about Jesus, who he is and what he has done, seen in all its glory, changes us. It's transformative truth. And it goes on changing us for our entire lives. You don't get to the end of that process until we see him face to face. And First John says that uh, when we see him, we'll be like him because we see him as he is. As we see Jesus more and more, we become more like him. And when we see him perfectly, we perfectly transformed to be like him. Uh, 
Now, uh, we're gonna we're gonna start looking at First Peter in a few weeks. Um, don't worry, I'm not gonna do that now. Uh, it sounded that way. But but let me jump the gun there and say that in First Peter two, he talks about longing for the pure spiritual milk by which we are matured. And he doesn't mean matured as in you start off as a young Christian and you become a mature Christian. The Bible uses that analogy elsewhere for that. But but in that part of the Bible, he's really clear. He's talking about being matured into the perfect likeness of Christ. This is a lifelong thirst for the milk of the gospel, like a baby thirst for milk. Who's got babies? Right? Or who's been around a baby who drinks milk? They like it. They're into that stuff. Uh, even if they're on formula, they're, they're keen for that when they're thirsty. The gospel is the all-encompassing, the all-consuming truth of the Christian faith. And we never depart from it. And you might ask, well, what's the rest of the Bible for? I jumped the gun on this, said something earlier on, but did you see those words in 1 Corinthians 15? Jesus died for our sins, what? In accordance with the scriptures. He was raised on the third day, what? Love the kings. Uh, the whole, sorry, thank you, Jeff. Uh, the whole Bible is about this one truth. That certainly there are other things spoken in the Bible, but the whole Bible is about the truth of Jesus. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. And by that he means the entire Old Testament. I have come to fulfil them. He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because, the Old Testament ones again, because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. So the gospel is for all of the Christian life. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us, uh, speak the truth in love into each other's lives. And so you're doing you grow up into the likeness of Christ. I paraphrased a bit there because I forgot the words. But when he says speak the truth in love, he, he then a few verses later says the truth is in Jesus. He doesn't mean just general truth. He's talking about gospel truth. It is for all of the Christian life and it has been God's focus throughout all of history as well. But like the cat in the hat, I do need to say here, that's not all. No, that's not all. I was reading kids books with uh, in the book of Revelation, maybe maybe turn there, eh? um, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation, curtains of history and time uh, are drawn back and we get this glimpse of the eternal throne room of God. Chapter, Chapter 5? Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to remember the verse. The one that starts with, worthy are you? Nine. Nine. So we get a picture of the eternal throne room of God. We're not seeing temporary realities here. We're seeing eternal realities here. And, uh, What's said is, uh, from verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive 
glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist, existed and were created. I don't think I read the right passage. Thanks, chapter 5, first time. And then later they say, <laughs> Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every <coughs> tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That seems a bit more like <coughs> Curtin's history have drawn that, and we see Jesus and he is the lamb who was slain. Revelation uses this picture heaps of times. Jesus is the lamb. He, he wears clothes dipped in blood. He is the slain lamb. And uh, it brings this picture again and again. And at the very centre of it, at the centre of the eternal worship of God, the lamb who was slain. Jesus. We will worship him for the truth of his death and resurrection. The dead, slain, the dead lamb is living with joy and wonder forever. So I wanted to end today with just these two simple encouragements. We're going to be more specific and a bit more honed in with our application in future weeks, but uh, we're going to spend the rest of the existence of this church searching and panning out different ways and different areas of our lives this. First, believe the gospel. Like I said, I never want to assume that everyone in the room has believed it for the first time. Believe the gospel is for everyone, but if you haven't trusted in Jesus to save you, to return you to joy in God, there is nothing to prevent you from doing so right now. It's all about what he has done, not what you have done. In fact, I believe God's spirit may have even chosen this day to save some. He may be speaking to a heart or two in this room right now. If that's you, believe. It is literally that simple. Come, talk to me. Pray with me or with Matt or with someone. There are many faithful Christians sitting in this room. You'll find someone. Second encouragement, this, live in the gospel. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. And whether you stay with us here at Gospel Church or wherever a gospel church is and where we fit, uh, or you go and worship somewhere else, this is, this is true for you if you're a Christian, right? This is an encouragement that every Christian needs. Live in the gospel. Never be content for a part of your life to exist beyond the reach of this truth, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he was risen. Like I said, that's what we're going to keep digging into every week for the remainder of this church.